Hello and welcome to the Decision Intelligence Podcast with Cassie Kozarkov and Jenny Brown. That's right, we'll spice things up with a Q&A session. I've got my colleague Jenny Brown here with the list of demands, uh, I mean questions, that she's compiled for your amusement. Hi Jenny and thanks so much for being here. Hello, hello. Very excited to be here with you, Cassie, even if we're not quite here. Well, we do our best, I guess, with this new normal. So Jenny, I know you quite well. You've been at Google for eight years, but I'm sure that they're curious about you. So why don't you indulge them for a moment? You're an engineer at Google, of course, and an advocate at Google Cloud. But do tell us a bit about you and about your passion. So yes, I am an engineer at Google. I'm in developer relations. And before that, in a previous lifetime, it seems, I was actually in training and sales over here at Google. And even before that, I was a preschool teacher. So I'm really interested in the learner's journey, right? What information do we need to get to people? And when do we need to get it to them so that they can make the most of it? And of course, like pretty much any area, that's where having solid decision fundamentals helps a lot. And I love that about you, Jenny. I was hoping you were going to say that because that is a passion that we have in common. That's why I'm pretty excited to see how you're going to answer these questions. They're the kind that start off pretty simple, but they can go pretty deep. Okay, I'm intrigued. All right. Are you ready? Ready. Question number one. People have been studying decision-making for at least as long as disciplines like economics, psychology, and managerial science have been around. You've made it pretty clear that decision-making is a skill, and I know that there's plenty of science out there with pointers on how to improve it. So why do so many teams in corporate settings ignore that wealth of knowledge available and sort of stumble through those decisions with a chat, a shrug, or whatever their gut tells them? <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a good question. I like that one. My immediate response to this is two things. Thing one is that making a decision carefully takes effort. And in order to do it, one would need to be motivated uh, to put in the effort. And in fact, many times making a decision properly with effort is the wrong thing to do. If the value of the decision is low, then just going with your gut quickly is the, the better option. Low effort may be optimal. Hang on, a sloppy decision can be optimal? When I say optimal, I mean from a sort of meta level. Mm -hmm. In a meta sense, an excessive effort decision on a low stakes scenario where someone is not attempting to build their skills, that is not an optimal approach. Interesting how optimal gets a totally different meaning when you look at it from a higher level. I like this meta stuff. Yeah, the meta, the meta stuff is quite often the most interesting stuff and the trickiest. Oh, right on. What about high effort decisions? Um, what does it take then to motivate people to do it? Sometimes people are doing it because they want to learn to be better. And so that they're doing it as practice. Sometimes the decision is actually really important to them and they want to get it right. And there's a lot on the line, say for them and their company. When people don't do that, it's either that they're motivated, but they lack the skills. And that may be having the wrong person in the wrong position. It may be that they have the skills, but they're not motivated. And that may be about how the culture around decision making is structured in these companies. Who is held responsible 
for decision processes, how much documentation is there of how decisions were taken and who was on the line. And then of course there's the, the two together, two bad things wrestling for, uh, for being the, the cause. But additionally, I think that besides the, the lack of motivation to carefully approach decisions, there is this a problem of delegation of decision-making. And so if you don't delegate responsibility carefully, it is very hard to expect to appropriately motivate someone to go through an effortful process if it's not clear who at the end of the day should be doing it, how that's going to be coordinated. And then there, there is an additional um, a layer of difficulty that comes from decision-making by committee and decision-making with multiple stakeholders. A lot of the training around decision-making assumes a single individual is calling the shots and it doesn't take into account the additional layers of complexity of coordinating multiple decision stakeholders. Now this can all be done with the multiple stakeholders, but you get much better results if you do that coordination intentionally and you understand that having multiple stakeholders is something that has to be valuable enough to engage in because it increases the amount of effort. So if you have low motivation, uh, you have people without the right skills in the decision maker roles, and then you additionally have a lot of people diffusing their responsibility and not having a, a coordinated approach, all of it feels like it's shaky enough that you may as well give up and then go back to low effort and informal process. So the, the message here and the moral is that if you want to improve the quality of your decision making, it is worth going about structuring, coordinating and assigning responsibility intentionally and thinking intentionally, not only about the process of making the decision, but also about the process of passing the baton through various tasks of making that decision. For sure. I'd really love to see more of that. Okay, now question number two. Is there some way in which you'd say society plays a role in situations where decision makers fall short? Our society as a whole does not behave as though it believes that good decision making is a skill. We will talk about whether people are qualified or not qualified to perform medical diagnoses, to write software, mm -hmm. to paint paintings, but not to make decisions. Sometimes people who are put into a decision-making role, most of the time in fact, are there not because decision-making was ever anything like a major for them. This was never anything that they practiced or tried to learn about. And there is a view in society that decision-making is sort of like just something that happens. My own view is that this is a muscle that you can train. It is both an art and a science, and yes, there's a talent component, but there's also an intentional skills-based part. And if the people are put into decision-making positions, completely ignoring the idea that there is a science to this, and instead it's all based on status, and it's all based on you know, relationship building and management and whatever else, then you're going to miss those skills in the room sort of by definition. 
and in our society, we tend to reward people for excellence in other areas, often people skills, by giving them decision power, not understanding that they may not have the actual ability to be good at making some of those decisions. Now, I would say that I don't advocate for taking these people out of their positions. I advocate for uh, having a, a, a sort of sober view of what we're working with. What are the skills in the room? And if we find that the right mix of skills is absent, then you can supplement the existing skills with folks who have more training. I love that emphasis on intentionality and skill. Everyone could do with a bit more of that, I think. Yes, absolutely. Question three, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one, but I wanted to see if asking it out loud would make you turn purple or throw something. I'm at a safe social distance, a virtual distance, which is arguably the safest, uh, but this is a legit thing people want to know. So here goes. Can software help someone make decisions? I would say that that this is a no-brainer of a yes. This is... <laughs> okay. Here's how the answer would go. Software helps our decision-making so much that we take it for granted. We're no longer even impressed with what would have been a feat a hundred years ago. The most basic case, of course, think about Google search. Think about how easy it is for you to use software and search what the temperatures are like in various months. People are so used to doing that that they don't even think about that as analytics for decision making, even though it is. Totally. About software that is more heavy duty, decision specific software, there is plenty of such software out there. All of manufacturing runs on it. Air traffic control and all the rest of it is all using software to help people make decisions. Uh, machine learning is an example of automating decision-making with a data and software-based approach. Mm -hmm. So s software is, is absolutely useful. And the whole idea behind software is take the limitations of the human brain, for example, memory, a uh, human struggles to remember a long set of numbers, but a computer can do it easily. A human struggles to see lots of data from many angles all at once, but with some nice data science and graphing, so graphing software, you can quickly see those data points. Do you expect software to replace decision makers entirely? I want to make it pretty clear that I don't think that the human is going to get replaced by software. I think that decision-making is fundamentally human. What about one-size-fits-all software, the kind that can handle every decision? Okay, so let me tie these two things together. Why the decision-maker is not going to get replaced and why one-size-fits-all is not the way to go here. Sure. So software is very helpful. However, software helps you do something that you need to get done. It is up to you to diagnose and understand what you need to get done if you had fewer limitations personally. So the software can't do things for you. It can just help you with some of the heavy lifting. What to lift in the first place is 
on people. That said, there is absolutely a lot of use of software for decision making everywhere. There's not a one size fits all software because decisions are different. To say that that you could with just one single approach cover everything, that would suggest that every decision is like every other decision. Actually, context and domain matters a whole lot. And to suggest that one piece of software should cover everything is like to suggest that uh, your microwave should do every single household chore. It would probably not be a very efficient microwave and it would probably fail at most of your household chores. It's better to specialize a little bit and, and that's kind of the deal with the software there. Yeah, I can just imagine trying to vacuum clean with my microwave. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, so you mentioned data science earlier. Yeah. Can you give a pithy take on where that fits into the whole story? Having the right information for your decision making is very powerful. Knowledge is power is what data science is about. That's data science in a nutshell. The ability to make sense of your universe and do something useful with it. Knowledge is power. I've never heard data science referred to that way, but I gotta say, there's something to it. Okay, while we're on the topic, talk to us a little more about software and information and how these go together. You need software to process information that gets bulky, messy, and interesting and can't all fit you know, via your eyes into your head without a few you know, bits in between. That's what the software is for. But if you don't have the information in the first place, then your options of how to approach decision-making are limited. And if you don't have the software to process the information, similarly, that information is going to be no good to you. Even though the, the information signal may exist out in the universe, without your ability to get that information or data and your ability to process it, um, you're not going to make good use of it. Is more data always better? That's only true of more good data. Mm -hmm. The wrong information is going to lead you astray. Um, think for a moment about what it would be like if a recommender system, let's say, that was supposed to recommend music that you like, if you give it more of the kind of music that you like, you expect it to do better. But now if you just start shoving all kinds of music and noise in there, that'll swamp the signal from the stuff that you actually like, and you will end up with a playlist that has nothing to do with what you enjoy. That totally makes sense. So more is any better if it's good and useful. Uh, so you can't just use any old data or any old information. You need to think about what you need, what's relevant, and more of that is good. And so there's a whole art around asking yourself, what information would I, if I were, if I had fewer limits, what information would I want to use in the first place? And to help out with your creativity about what sorts of options you might even consider, let's look at some examples of information that's already available out there. And then we can think about tailoring our information and data. Okay. Why don't more companies use internal polls as crowdsourced inputs to their decision making? I would say that, that there are two kinds of answers to this. One is not every company's decision making will be structured in a way that that is the most fruitful source of information. Number two is not every company realizes how easy it is to get started with the basics of doing things like that. Oh, definitely. My own work tries to encourage companies to consider the easy options that they have 
um, to do things like that because that part is really easy to do. But when it's not necessary and when it's not the right approach, uh, don't be doing that. Now, what I'll also say is that at the end of the day, most decision-making that happens, happens by processing some kind of information, either with software or with your senses. And there is no need to make an artificial distinction there. When you go to lunch and have a bunch of informational lunches to help you decide something, you are still processing information with your human brain. You're doing the same kind of thing. There are just ways that you could have a little upgrade to make the process easier and more efficient. So what you're saying is that crowdsourced polls and informational lunches are pretty much the same thing, but using different tools for processing and storing the data? Oh, yeah. I've never thought of it that way before. The nature of this question underscores an, what is, to me, an artificial dichotomy. People everywhere and companies everywhere would be better served by not saying date of the capital D, but thinking that information navigating the world, getting input through our senses, is how humans deal with their environments, make decisions, choose actions. We all do this. We all have some skills in this direction. And in fact, if you want to, if you want evidence that everyone is a data analyst, consider that a image is stored as a bunch of ones and zeros. And with the right image processing software, with the right data software, like Microsoft Paint, you can open this <laughs> photograph that is visualizing data, taking these ones and zeros and converting them into something that makes more human readable sense. So if you have ever looked at a digital photograph, you have done data analysis. When we artificially think that we're not doing this, we miss opportunities to ask, well, here are the ways that I would like to expand my ability to interact with the information that my environment might provide. How do I find opportunities to do this better? And how can I use computers and software and data to empower me beyond what I could pull off if I was limited to pen, paper, and my senses? And so that artificial distinction, if you, if you take it away, you realize just how much of our world is taking for granted how much we, we use software and data already. And once we see that we're doing it, we realize that we're on the inside. We don't have to ask for permission to come inside this data bubble. We're already all inside it. And then the question is, how do we do our best now that we're here already? Ooh, I like that. Well put. Zooming out a little bit here. Tell me, are good decision-making best practices generalizable into some sort of core set of best practices? Or is that whole area too broad and decisions too context-dependent for that? There is a lot that has to do with context and decision intelligence is a really big area for good reason. So to ask how to make good decisions is asking about a huge, huge area. However, it's worth taking some inspiration from the way that psychology departments name the field that has to do with decisions. And this name is not just decision-making on its own, but judgment and decision-making. 
two pieces. What is decision-making? It is the integration of information to select between options. What is judgment? It is the choice of the metaheuristics and frameworks. It is the framing of the decision problem in the first place. And the two together are an extremely rich base. But what is generalizable here is that pretty much everything relies on succeeding on both sides. Good judgment and good decision making together. Understanding the right approach for the right context and the right framing and the right leadership and then the right optimization to follow that. I'm sure we can all think of a few people who we know who could use a bit more of that. I'm sure, I'm sure we could. All right, final question. You've said that context is critical and that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to decision-making. That's totally fair and we get it. But what if your listeners really, really want to leave this episode with a piece of advice? What's the best piece of decision-making advice, one suggestion, that you would give someone without knowing anything about their specific situation? I would suggest being intentional about the decision and asking the one question that I think is the career maker for data scientists. And this question is, what would it take to change your mind? A lot of young data science folks, they run around trying to plot some stuff, trying to do some fancy equations without asking their stakeholders, what's your mindset to? What would it take to change your mind? What do you need to, what do you want to know? That question forces the stakeholder to be more intentional as well. It forces them to confront how they are already considering navigating their information, and it forces them to confront how to move forward effectively. I see this as the career maker for data scientists. It really doesn't hurt pretty much everyone else to learn to start asking it. Ooh, I'm definitely going to borrow that. Powerful stuff and surprisingly easy advice to follow. Thank you so much. My list is just out of questions, but I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I did too. Thanks so much, Cassie. Thanks, Internet. Thanks, listeners. Uh, Bye, everyone. Thanks, Jenny. That was, again, that was a great list of questions. Thanks so much for being here. Take care. All right, everyone, that was Jenny Brown. You can find her on social media through the links I've provided in the description. And I'm Cassie Kozrakov. This is the Decision Intelligence Podcast, our Decision Fundamentals Q&A special. If you had fun here, don't forget to like, share with a friend, and if you're interested in learning more, do check out my other podcast episodes, my blog on Medium, or my videos on YouTube. And I'll catch you next time on the Decision Intelligence Podcast.